Welcome to Muse and Hearth, a podcast for women cultivating their minds as well as their homes. I'm Lydia Fukushan, and I'm joined by my co-host, dear friend and sister-in-law, Valerie Abraham. Today, we will be discussing Greece versus Rome. We um, had recently both listened to a podcast hosted by Intelligence Squared. Um, They hosted it in November 2015, and their guests were Boris Johnson, who was then the mayor of London, now um, the prime minister, and Mary Beard, whose name you probably recognize um, from some of her um, famous books on the classics, um, including Parthenon, which is one I grew up reading. Um, uh, she is the professor of classics at Cambridge. The two of them in this podcast um, take sides and debate whether they believe that Greece or Rome is better or more important or whatever the term you want to use, the, the, the prime <laughs> civilization. The epitome, uh, yes. Yeah. And uh, in, the, in the debate, Boris Johnson takes the part of Greece and starts in first, and then Mary Beard rebuts with Rome. And then in the context of the podcast, which you can find, find on intelligencesquared.com, um, they do poll their live audience at the beginning of the debate to find out which way the audience swings and then they pull them again at the end to find out if they've changed their mind. And I won't tell you which one out, um, but they do change their minds after the after the debate. Actually, we're, we're probably going to end up spoiling it in this podcast. So <laughs> if you want to find out on your own before you find out from us, you might want to pause here and go watch it and then come back. <laughs> Yes. It's um, a fascinating, fascinating debate. It is. It's a, a lot of fun, too. So um, definitely recommend it. But it got me to thinking, which way would I swing? And when I watched the debate, I definitely initially um, would have picked Greece. Valerie, which was your, which was your <sighs> initial time, vote? Both before, during, and after, I have still felt torn um, between the two. I have a deep emotional attachment to wanting Rome to win, um, because you're uh, definitely mostly a Latin, just because I a Latin well, girl. Right, <laughs> you right. You did Greek more, if I remember correctly. I or did. You started with Greek, and then I did Latin. So we have that <laughs> difference between us. Yeah. But I, ha- I have to admit that deep down, if I really just sort of uh, try to separate my my emotional attachment from the the argument, I almost do lean towards Greece. Yeah, I um, actually, (laughs) Mary Beard uses Boris Johnson's book, The Dream of Rome, against him in the debate, which I thought was a (laughs) brilliant stroke and (laughs) probably lost him the debate right there because he... And she doesn't... Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, she doesn't say who she's quoting from, and she quotes this uh, quote about how amazing Rome is, and then he recognizes that she's quoting from his own work. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it is a stroke of genius as far as actual rhetorical skill goes, because she totally took him down. Um, (laughs) You can tell that he's sort of, it's dawning on him that he's in trouble. (laughs) But of course, they had assigned him Greece, so... 
Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, that that point, though, just describing that that humorous moment reminds me just some of the things that I was noticing about the debate that seem oh, a contrast, shall we say, to so much of modern culture. Um, and that's just the way that they were very convivial with each other. There was bantering a, back and forth a lot. Yeah, mm-hmm. a sportsmanlike um, yes, attitude. Yes, that's a good word for it. Yeah. Yeah. And yet they were debating very hard. It wasn't some case of just, oh, it's all relative. It doesn't really matter. They were really going at it. Um, but with this, this lighthearted appreciation for each other at the same time, that was very refreshing to see. Um, and, and especially interesting just with the difference in backgrounds, well, similarities and differences, you know, Mary Beard being the scholar and then Boris Johnson, the politician. But one thing that I thought would be interesting to mention as we start discussing the debate is that Boris Johnson, I was very surprised to find out, unlike most politicians in today's world, um, he actually was a classics major, or I'm not sure if that Oxford, they use a different word for it, but a classics major at Oxford. Um, He studied at Balliol College, which is, of course, famous in some circles because that's where Peter Whimsey of uh, Dorothy Sayers fame studied as well. Uh But um, he's not just jumping into this as, as we set up the debate. It's not that this is just, you know, um, a politician jumping into a classics debate against a scholar. They're actually both scholars, even if they live in very different worlds from each other now. Right, right. I think, um, though it isn't our topic, it would also be interesting just to discuss um, the rhetorical skill that went into it and the different Mm -hmm. aspects of rhetoric that they're using or not using. Um, For one thing, Um, One of Mary Beard's, this is sort of jumping the gun a bit, but one of Mary Beard's comments um, or main points was that Rome is us. And she sort of aimed to swing her audience towards Rome by showing the Mm -hmm. er earthy humanity of Mm -hmm. Roman authors, whereas Greeks were a little more pie in the sky, esoteric, Mm -hmm. you know, but... To me, and she was going for a sort of a pathos swing there with her audience, yeah. which was artful mm-hmm. and clever. I was um, actually annoyed by it, and it actually was mm. something that hurt her in in my mind, partly because she chose really bawdy examples. Like, I just yes. didn't, <laughs> I, you know, and I just well, didn't relate. Did. And I guess that matters who your audience is. And I just mm-hmm. thought, you know, there's so many examples of humanness from Roman authors that you could choose that weren't right. quite so gritty. Of course. Yes. <laughs> yes. And to me, um, that was where she was choosing based on the her perceived audience hmm. what she was going to what she was going huh. to do. But I, well, I see what example, she's doing. So, right. So she tried to choose an example that was bringing in both the body, but supposedly I didn't think you could read that much into it, but supposedly had great philosophical insights too. But something like um, what came to mind is Ovid's Ars Armatoria would have been a fantastic example uh-huh. because uh, he basically, it's a, a handbook to wooing. Um, and he has some, now, caveat, I have not read the entire Ars Armatoria. I was going to say, Ovid are, does have his parts, moments. Yes. <laughs> I, I believe there are certainly parts that are... Um, not the most savory reading. However, of the parts that I have read, um, there are some completely hilarious passages um, describing, and it's that 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 uh, 
style of talking about things and just what he's talking about that makes it very approachable and and relatable. Right. She um, could have gone there about. without having to right. go all the way there, if right. that makes sense. Right. Things like, yes. you know, how to make sure that you provide for the every need of the lady you're trying to woo when you go to the theater or something. Make sure that you bring a pillow for her and uh, shoo away anyone else who might be in her way. Anyways, it's just this terrific moment. Right, uh, right. Of, yeah, <laughs> nothing thought, has changed in two thousand years. Right, and that is definitely one of her points, and a good one. I just didn't; it didn't sway me quite the way I think she was intending because of the angle she she took with it. Um, so, with the argument, do you think the argument would have swayed you if it had been something just that seemed like a more legitimate example, a more honorable? Example yeah, I think just word? yeah, I think just a more you know not quite so coarse, not quite so body, mm-hmm. and that's just you know. Mostly because it was it was a little distasteful some of the examples right. that she chose and and I see why she was going that way with it but um, now all the same she still persuaded me towards Rome and her her the argument that really got me was um, that Rome gave us Greece because Rome preserved hmm. um, Greek epic. Greek yeah. architecture, mm-hmm. preserved and developed, preserved and stood on their shoulders also. But mm-hmm. epic architecture, drama, um, a lot of the th- uh, philosophy, a lot of the things that we credit Greece for, and that was those were the things that I thought of when I thought, which is greater, I thought, oh, Greece, because Greece mm. started it. You know, Greece came right. up with these things. Um, right. Euclid, Archimedes, I mean, Euclid gave us geometry that, all sorts of maths have been developed from. And Archimedes giving us, you know, the, ki- my, the kids and I have been studying the simple machines that he came up with, mm. you know, oh, the wow. screws and levers and things that we mm-hmm. use every day in every, any, any little mechanical thing that we use all day long depends on these. Mm-hmm. And so my initial thought was, well, Greece, of course, because... Mm-hmm. Where would we be without these? Exactly. And actually, so, you know, when um, uh, Boris Johnson actually says this in his book, The Dream of Rome, um, he says, um, like all the best ideas, Roman civilization was really a ripoff of a brilliant idea by someone else. Hmm. As the Romans had no hesitation in admitting, they owed their inspiration to the Greeks. Um, Hmm. he goes on to say that Virgil's Aeneid was modeled on Homer Um, Roman theater was an imitation of Greek theater and that's definitely where I went at the beginning of the debate in my mind was they started Mm -hmm. it all but I thought Mary was very here I am on first name basis with Mary Beard (laughs) (laughs) good old Mary good old Mary (laughs) I thought she was very persuasive um, when she said that basically we would have lost all of that theoretical or Mm -hmm. esoteric knowledge without the foundation of Rome capturing it basically and then disseminating it to the whole world Hmm. so anyway Hmm. well and actually um that reminds me, there was one point that they made just fairly briefly uh, towards the end. I believe it was Mary Beard, um, or possibly the moderator. I appreciated his contributions as well. They were mm-hmm. humorous at times. But it was they clear were which something. way he leaned. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, it, it was really interesting, though. Uh, one of them was saying, 
something uh, I don't remember the exact term they used, but the idea they, what they were trying to get at was since when does the fact that it was a copy mean that that's well a cop out? Um, we tend to think of copy as some sort of you know cheap imitation as opposed to something that's full of its own creativity. Yeah, uh, and I was wondering, thinking about it, how much then is our uh, sort of natural aversion to the idea of it being copied from something else simply the result of being post-romantic movement, post-romanticism, and wanting everything to be original, kind of mm. like, you know, mm. whatever you pray, for example, I mean, this enters a whole other debate, but the idea of a spontaneous prayer being automatically better than a richly written prayer, either from the Bible or, right, or right. some you know, That's theologian or pastor. definitely a modern issue because authenticity is all the all that right now. Like right. we need to be right. authentic to be real. Um, so the hipsters pr- love Greece. Right. <laughs> and then, right. <laughs> and then the traditionalists might love Rome more. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, you know, sp- speaking of that, I, uh, Boris Johnson in, uh, definitely gives credit in his book to how Rome is in a sense, um, oh, humble's probably the wrong word, but, they're they are willing to admit that they are taking capital from Greece hmm. and growing it, if that makes sense. He huh. sort of says, you know, they're they're aware of this. They're not saying, well, mm-hmm. we're we won't acknowledge where we got it. And and he mentions um that Greece would have been like the second language of the Roman Empire. Probably everyone yes. spoke both. Right. If they were educated, which is interesting. And he said it's also interesting to note that the Greeks weren't, or so he proposes, is that the Greeks weren't actually mad about the Romans being in charge. Like they sort of took it in stride. And he wondered um, if that was because Rome gave them a position in nobility in their society. Like the idea wasn't hmm. to wipe them out and erase everything that was Greek, mm-hmm. but rather to acknowledge their greatness and then use it in the context of Roman, the Roman Empire. So I thought that was hmm. interesting. That's very interesting. Yeah. yeah. And, and perhaps that's part of Rome's greatness is their willingness to um, ass- assimilate, um, you know, excellence from mm-hmm. other places, but then they certainly captured quite right. a few. Which <laughs> relates a little bit to Mary Beard. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Which relates a little bit, I think, to Mary Beard's, I think kind of her central point um, was that Rome was just so much more. And obviously, you know, she's bringing in some <laughs> various implications of this, but uh, that Rome was so much more multicultural and diverse um, than, than Greece was. And it's true that, you know, Greece, it was only a very select few who could vote and um the project yeah. itself only lasted about 50 years the uh what is it the great age of greece the democracy yeah didn't actually succeed very well as you were mentioning in the beginning it was very theoretical and and they were divided there was a certain um limit to their advancement because they were individual city states right. um i think she references that also that it's just um they were a bit insular and rome mm-hmm. definitely was not the insular. complete opposite. <laughs> right, right. They <laughs> which, networked. <laughs> which I think um, can bring up both the, the greatest strength and weakness of Rome uh, is that it had a 
a very, um, well, it, it felt that it had a great purpose, you know, a great telos in the world. Um, and that gave it the strength of having a sort of hopeful, forward-looking vision, mm-hmm. um, but also then brought in all that, uh, well, we're going to conquer the world and make it safe for, safe for democracy, as someone else said, that, <laughs> um, you know, Virgil gets into. In, in right, I was going to say six. Virgil mm-hmm. definitely captures that forward vision. Right. Um, right. Which, uh, to if put you down think the about, and raise up the humble. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm thinking Homeric epic. It is interesting that the Iliad and the Odyssey. I'm sort of figuring out how I want to say this. The Odyssey is very home oriented hmm. versus mm-hmm. versus expansion oriented, mm-hmm. which well, does seem to match with that Greek insular. Um, view of life. Mm-hmm. Um, Insular and not looking beyond the current generation in a way. Yeah. Very, yeah. And the Aeneid, of course, of is not that at all um, right. because he's going out and he's going out to found a new city, not right. getting almost... back to his home that he's been, mm-hmm. you know, away from for so long. That's kind of uh, right. hmm, interesting. Returning to the old versus beginning the new and... Uh, well, I, I, I know we've talked about this in other contexts, and and uh, Wes Callahan talks about this. But you know how that made that how that made Rome so fertile for for Christianity to take root, because the Christians could come in and be like, "Look, this is you know you long for this eternal city, you long for this peace on earth, um, right. this this empire that transcends the individual, and then uh, being able to point to Christ in that context and." It, that particular vision could not have taken root in Greece the same way. Interesting, that, yeah. Uh, um, Philip, Christ for all of life. Philip Schaff makes that point, I think, in the history of the Christian church, um, mm. which, didn't you guys just pick up a copy of that? We just, except it's missing volume three, which is very unfortunate, so we're going to oh, have to no. track down that one. But we found, I think it's the Antinician Fathers or something, but it has all the others, and I've never read it before, so I am really, really excited. Well, the, that first couple paragraphs is just... I I think it's such a great, um, it's, it's just great writing. It's a really good example of um, moving your reader with with mm. with writing, because Philip Schaff talks about how he he sort of illustrates how all of history sort of comes to a point at at the mm. Roman Empire there and explodes outward. And that's mm. the time in history when, you know, Jesus became man and dwelt among us. Right. And then Christianity grew from there, sort of on the writing that um, Roman expansive project. <laughs> right. Um, um, so it really it was really instrumental for spreading Christianity. And, and it's a really great start to that mm-hmm. series by Schaff. Yeah. Not to mention that Latin continued to be the lingua franca, even as Greek took a backseat a little bit. Right. I, I was actually not even aware before I um, started reading Boris Johnson's book, The Dream of Rome, that Greece, mm. that Greek was a second language like it was. Mm. I actually kind of thought it faded out because we know of Latin as the main language of the of of the educated the language mm-hmm. of study mm-hmm. the language of even still the language of medicine and science right. often and i guess i just sort of assumed that greek took a back seat 
right away. Mm -hmm. So I was fascinated mm -hmm. to hear that it um, did stick around. I actually have heard, I don't know um, how, how researched this claim is, um, but I've heard that the famous, you know, et tu brute, actually, most likely, if he said those words, would have been que su brute, the Greek form of, of that phrase, because huh. Brutus being a friend of Caesar, they would have been speaking to each other in Greek. Like it was so common among the Romans at the time. In a formal, they would have friendly just, right, they would have, language. Exactly. The, the casual Informal, language. sorry. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's <laughs> interesting. You, <laughs> you yeah. know, actually, um, um, I bet I can't find the, oh, I, let's see if I, um, I'm going to skim real quick here because I think there's a good quote for this. He was mentioning that the, the um, Boris Johnson was mentioning that the Shakespearean quote that says it's all Greek to me um, mm -hmm. was in the context of someone saying they did uh, uh, in the Roman, one of the Roman plays, uh, a mm -hmm. Roman saying, I don't understand Greek. And he said, well, actually, that would have been Shakespeare showing his partiality to Latin. But it oh, wouldn't really? have been historically accurate because huh. probably that person portrayed by Shakespeare, but a true historic character, would have known Greek quite well um, because it was their, mm. their second language. Anyway, I thought that was fascinating. Um, that is really interesting, yeah. And it, well, this is a bit of a tangent, but it's fascinating how much of history comes down to us through, filtered through Shakespeare, like Henry V, for example, or Richard III. Um, that's yeah, true. We've got Julius Caesar and... Right. Which, of course, brings up an entirely different tangent for another time. About we really Richard. should. We should chat about Shakespeare at some point. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, um, swinging back by the fact that Romans were conscious of their debt to Greece, um, apparently Horace was known to have said that um, in English translation, captured Greece, captured her conqueror, and introduced the arts to rustic Latium. Hmm. So basically, even though Greece was captured by Rome, there was a sense in which Greece captured Rome Tamed. herself. Tamed Rome. Yeah, yeah. And I, huh. I thought that was interesting. Um Hmm. Sort of that like they really Stockholm were aware Central. of it. The Romans were aware that, that Greece had brought them that much. Mm -hmm. Well, and even thinking of um, the, the imperial side of things, you know, the empire expansion, we think of, for example, uh, the south of Gaul. Now, France being very influenced by Rome, by Rome's expansion into making Gaul a province. But along the southern coast, there were already actually a lot of settlements uh, from Greece. Uh, Marseille, for example, or Marseille uh, was originally Massilia um, and became Roman, but before that had been founded by um, a Greek settlement. In fact, I think they even said it was maybe a Greek penal colony. So <laughs> maybe huh. not the savoriest of Greek characters, but um, and there were <laughs> but a lot they of were there. routes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and um, you know, I know studying with my kids about Archimedes, um, Alexandria, the Library of Alexandria, um, mm. was a great center of education, and Euclid's mathematics definitely was 
disseminated to the rest of the world from there. Archimedes Mm -hmm. would for certain have studied it there. Um, And then, of course, many after him. Um, So I'm sure that that Greek... um, uh, What am I... What's the word I'm looking for? Um, Sort of that starting point that... um, Nest's the wrong word, but... (laughs) Uh. Home, home, home base where things were fostered from there. I just, I cannot come up with the word I need. <laughs> oh, well. My, my mind is. I'm sure it'll come to me the, later. Having the blue screen of death. <laughs> there is static. <laughs> uh, well, um, I think that probably wraps up our discussion on Greece versus Rome today. I would be very curious um, to hear how others react to to the debate between the two. Um, having been an initial Greek proponent, I would love to hear some pushback for, <laughs> for Greece, yes. even if or I've if been persuaded else, for Rome. <laughs> if anyone else listens to the debate and then has their mind changed as well, that would be either way. That would be... Uh interesting to hear yeah we'd love to hear about about your thoughts so well thanks so much valerie this has been thank you lydia great looking forward to next oh, time this already was fascinating yep. <laughs> i'm going to be thinking about this the rest of the day and talking to matthew about it see if i can get him to take a position yeah we'll need to create some um notes from the episode too so that there's a mm-hmm. um i will add in the link to the to the podcast and We've both referenced a couple book titles. We should add those in so yes. folks can go and take a look oh, for themselves. I, I have one other one to add. I can't remember if I mentioned him yet, but uh, I opened, I have read, haven't read this since high school, but was getting so much more out of it just reading even half of a chapter uh, thinking about today. Uh, the Roots of American Order by Russell Kirk. Mm. It's a really fascinating book. One of the, the great um, advocates of conservatism in the true sense, not the sense that we often use it conservatism in the 20th century Um, and he has a fascinating analysis of the roots basically of American political thought but starting with everything from uh, ancient biblical society through Greece and Rome and he spends quite a lot of time on both Greece and Rome and then of course all through the ages as well middle ages so I guess we're not completely done because you actually reminded me another one that I (laughs) I had been thinking of too I don't know if you ever read the Uncle Eric books um there's one ancient Rome and how it affects us today and he talks it's a great one for you know high school middle school but it talks about um things like architecture and how Mm. um America was founded. So as Americans, we probably should swing Rome in the debate. Yes, partly because I wanted to bring that up as well. Yeah, yeah. We Rome is is so instrumental to how our country was founded. Um, you know, George Washington being called the Cincinnatus of the West. Um, mm-hmm. You know, basically modeling himself against a, a hero from Roman culture and. Right. Um, if you just think about our Capitol buildings and the architecture there, um, mm-hmm. very Roman. <laughs> Roman and very intentionally not Greek. It wasn't simply a passive decision. It was very intentional, uh, in a way, actually rejection of, of the Greek project. Um, in fact, I believe I've heard Daniel quote, oh, I don't know which founding father, but calling the, um, the Athenian 
ex well, experiment, the failed experiment in democracy. Mm -hmm. the, pure um, and the pure democracy versus a republic. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I don't mean any <laughs> any form of democracy, but specifically the Athenian experiment. Right. Um, and Russell Kirk also raises an interesting point that when they looked at Greece, it was so focused on, as you were mentioning, the polis, the individual city state, mm -hmm. and that they already knew, even at the beginning, before all the westward expansion had happened, they knew that that simply wouldn't work with something the scale of America. And they looked to the Roman Senate as something that could be scaled to an American size an American vista sort of hmm, interesting yeah um, we definitely have uh, all the way down to the wording in our pledge of allegiance and to the republic mm -hmm. you know republic I pledge allegiance yeah. to the republic um, not to mention Latin in all of our state mottos yes and um, just yeah, <laughs> there was there's a lot of fodder there for for further discussion. But Rome really had such an instrumental role in the founding of our country. Mm -hmm. um, so Which makes me really curious now. Are you even allowed to have a state motto if it's not Latin? Is that a requirement or is it just a sort that's a good of question? I actually thing? was wondering if one of the newer states, I think um, Alaska and Hawaii being. Um, more uh, more recently added. Um, I, hmm. I actually am not positive that they have a lot. You know what? Motto. You're right. I just Googled it right here. <laughs> the Alaska state model is north to the future. And That's as far as I, I can thought. tell, no mention of the Latin. Yeah. Yeah. Because it hmm. was recent enough that it, it would probably have seemed um, out of date, anachronistic. We hadn't, we weren't mm -hmm. um, studying Latin. Right. They, no they weren't teaching Latin the way they used to. <laughs> yes. What do they teach them in these schools? Yes. <laughs> and of course, then it opens up the whole rabbit hole of certain uh, people nowadays, you know, claiming that. I think I've even heard it claimed that the um, Linnaean system of naming species with uh -huh. Latin is uh, imperial, you know, white culture imperial because it's a... Uh, well, Latin and not in native languages around the world or something. So huh, huh. Then you open I, all that can of worms. Well, and, and just swinging back for a second, I just looked up the Hawaii state motto and it's in Hawaiian. So, oh, interesting. <laughs> well, there we go. Yeah, we definitely didn't. Yeah, that, oh, that probably <laughs> should be a whole other podcast again. We keep thinking of ideas, partly because both of us have studied a lot of Latin and we it's near and dear to our hearts, but. Mm -hmm. um, talking about why study a dead language, which is the classic question. You know, why do you study right. a dead language? And of course, some scholars would say, well, it isn't dead. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Not the way they teach it in some places. <laughs> right. <laughs> I so, do know someone who spoke to their child in Latin all the time. Yes. Yes. I, I'm still very impressed by this fact. Um, <laughs> I do not know he, Latin he that well. He did English, too. Yes. Do they do actually speak English. <laughs> uh, maybe someday Latin will be the second language again. There we go. Or yeah. French. You know. Oh, uh, yeah. I French. would pull for French. But of course, <laughs> then we have to talk about Romance languages and how mm -hmm. they are all mm -hmm. founded on Latin. So that's yes. another pull for Rome. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> Where would we be without them? That is true. Which, well... Uh, again, another topic idea to add to the list. Uh, could discuss French, Latin, or French, English, and German as sort of the new lingua francas of the world. 
yeah. um, uh, post-19th century play. And whether or not we should adopt those or just translate everything post-19th century into Latin. Definitely gets into my f- philological leaning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, definitely. that'll be another one. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, on that note, before we come up with 20 other podcasts, before we end this one, <laughs> uh, thanks so much, Valerie. This, this was great today, and um, we'll look forward to chatting with you again next time. Yeah.